Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It is hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this Monday, the 20th of September. Let me comment on a few domestic headlines here before we move to a conversation with Mindy Bells about what's going on around the world. Um, Certainly, you have heard about the Gabby Petito Brian Laundry story, um, both regarded as missing persons by the FBI. Uh, Brian Laundry being a person of interest in the disappearance of Gabby Petito. And we're going to continue, you know, certainly individually following this story. And let me just say this, our hearts go out to these families and um, to everyone engaged and involved in the search for these individuals. And let's be people who are um, lifting these families up in prayer today. My guess is this um, provokes anyone who has ever lost a child. Uh, it, it provokes, it just brings those memories right back to the very forefront. That will be front of mind today um, for anyone who has suffered this kind of loss. And so be mindful of that. If there are people who you know who have children who are unaccounted for, whose children are missing, today would be a really good day for you to just reach out as an act of grace to them. Send them a text message, give them a call, and just say, you know, I, my heart breaks again. Um, for the not knowing, for the not knowing, because there's just so much mystery surrounding all of it. Certainly, we're praying for justice uh, to be done, but we're also praying for mercy. And that is hard. That's a hard place to be as well. COVID, uh, rapid rise of severe COVID-19 cases are forcing hospitals to ration care. You are going to hear hysterical reporting on this. And let me just say, let me just say, that um, ICU beds in the United States of America running at 80 to 90 percent capacity is actually standard. It's just the difference of how long COVID patients tend to stay in ICU versus the length of stay um, prior to the pandemic for folks with other kinds of health emergencies and challenges. So the fact that ICU beds across the country are at 80 percent capacity is not unusual. The fact that 30% of those beds have COVID patients in them um, is the unusual part. And so that's the less hysterical way to have the conversation today um, and certainly to to talk with folks um, about their, their own care and the care of those they love best in the world. The numbers are um, really dramatic and really staggering. And so, you know, I, I just, I lift that up as an ongoing prayer concern as well. There are 15,000 Haitians under the international bridge on the U.S. side of the border with Mexico at Del Rio, Texas. That is a story we are going to continue covering. That is one you're going to hear about today as well. Um, And to our north, Canadians are heading to the polls today in a snap election that uh, could could actually bolster Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's uh, position in that country. 
Uh, so in, in days of bitter political polarization, uh, let's just be mindful of what our friends and neighbors to the north are doing. We have a lot of listeners in Canada, so good morning uh, to you. And um, as you go and vote today and exercise exercise that privilege and that right, um, we, you know, we just encourage discernment in this as, you know, as we do all things. There you go. All right, we're going to turn to headlines related to Afghanistan and other things going on around the world with Mindy Bells from World Magazine. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining us again today, Mindy Bells from World Magazine. You can find what we're talking about at World News Group, which is WNG.org. Mindy, welcome back. Hi, Carmen. Good morning. Let's um, let's lead off in Afghanistan. We've got a range of conversations we could have there. Why don't you bring us up to speed? Well, I'll tell you this, that we've been following for weeks now uh, since the the U.S. pulled out of the Kabul airport, just an amazing effort by a lot of uh, aid groups, human rights advocates, Christian advocates, uh, former uh, ambassadors Sam Brownback and others working with former military. There's just an amazing effort that continues to be underway to get people who are vulnerable, vulnerable Afghans, uh, out of the country and away from the grip of the Taliban. We continue to hear reports of the Taliban, as best we understand it, going neighborhood by neighborhood and targeting um, people within it who are considered to be uh, somehow enemies of the Taliban. And that would include uh, Christians, that would include ethnic Hazaras, um, who are generally don't make up the Taliban. Um, that would include women and girls. Uh, we saw this weekend secondary schools opened, but with with no no female students, no female teachers, just a tremendous, tremendous setback for the whole country. Um, so we continue to kind of reap the uh, rewards, I would say, in quotes of of a really uh, drastic, uh, not well planned. Um, withdrawal plan by the by the Biden administration that, you know, saw us holding to a Taliban timeline for ending, uh, carrying out some evacuations and then ending them before our American citizens were out and before these vulnerable Afghans were out. And it continues to be quite a mess. There are, um, you know, there are headlines today saying the United States is expected to resettle 95,000 uh, Afghan refugees in the next year. We're also reading um, and hearing about drone strikes that the United States military has and continues to carry out. One of those um, has is getting a lot of attention in the news because uh, they blew up the wrong vehicle and they killed um, a number of children. Right. Um, talk mm-hmm. with us about uh, those storylines. Well, you know, the thing that continues to dismay me, and I think that journalists need to, we need, we need to have our, our heads, our compasses recalibrated, is just focusing on what this means for the Afghans instead of what this means for the Americans. And, and you know, besides the drone strike that on Friday you had the chairman of the Joint uh, Chiefs of Staff, General Milley, 
admitting that the drone strike was a horrible mistake. That drone strike was in response to the bombing that took place uh, at one of the gates outside the Kabul airport, if you remember. And, you know, that was really what brought an end to these evacuations, like uh, easily 48 hours before they were supposed to end. And that is why we one of the reasons why we have a situation of thousands upon thousands of people were not able to board flights that were waiting for them because this danger arose. The threats rose. People were ordered to clear the gates. But there were, besides the 13 U.S. Marines killed in that bombing, there were um, close to 200 Afghans killed. These are men, women, children, grandparents. These are whole families that were waiting to get out of um, Afghanistan. And then, and then to compound that with the um, drone strike that was just plainly an error and was touted as you know, the kind of way that the United States is going to respond in the future, you know, the over-horizon strikes that President Biden has said are going to be the alternative to having a, a, a force on the ground in Afghanistan. And I, and I just have to tell you, it's my strong opinion that this stabilizing force that we could have left in the country for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, a force of a couple of thousand people, something not unlike forces that we have all over the world in areas that have been severe threats to the United States. We could have had that kind of force on the ground and avoided poor intelligence, bad evacuations, and the kinds of things that we're continuing to see unfold. I mean, it's just hard to overstate the disaster that this is. Yeah, the impact on the people who live there um, must remain our our focus. It's hard to stay focused on that, Mindy. And so thank you um, for redrawing our attention um, to that and that concern. For those of you who are listening and remember my conversations with uh, General John Bradley about people being evacuated from Afghanistan, the three kids who we talked about um, who were at the gate, whose mother died and whose father ended up in the hospital, those three kids are here in the United States, and they are um, with extended family members. But I think about even just that one family and those little kids and um, what it must be like for them to know that their mother is uh, is dead and that they will not see their father again in all likelihood, and they're going to be raised here in the United States by people who up until this point, um, you know, maybe they only knew over, uh, over FaceTime. So let's just be praying for, you know, there's tens of thousands of situations just like that. Um, Let's be praying for these precious uh, people at each and every turn of these events that are completely out of their control. We're talking with Mindy Bells from World Magazine. We're going to turn our attention to other spaces and places around the globe in just a moment. Well, our international uh, conversations are sure to be very, very interesting as the U.N. General Assembly gathers. And we got allies who are really upset with us. France has recalled its ambassador from the United States and Australia for consultations in protest at a security deal that the United States participated in related to China. All right. That is a lot of Internet. That is a lot of countries named in in a lead off conversation. So, Mindy, what's going on here? Yeah, it is. It, it really needs to be put in context. And the first context is that France is truly our oldest Western ally. We entered a treaty with France in 1778 
and have never broken that relationship since. And on Friday, um, President Emmanuel Macron and his foreign minister pulled uh, their ambassadors from Washington and from Australia, from Canberra. And um, in short, you know, and this is not unlike the situation that we saw in Afghanistan, where we just were betraying our best friends. In short, what happened is that uh, France entered into a contact contract with Australia in 2016. It's been under, and it was under development for years prior to that, for producing about a dozen conventional subs uh, designed to counteract the threat from China in the Pacific. And um, without anyone telling France about it, uh, Australia turned on on that contract and got uh, abandoned it this past week and instead entered into a contract with the United States and Great Britain to produce eight nuclear subs. And, you know, you could defend the um, the idea that Australia would say, hey, things have gotten worse Hey, and and technology is changing, and we really want the nuclear subs that's going to combat this threat better. You could have that conversation, but a really important piece here is that France was never part of that conversation. And we're seeing reports that um, these three powers were meeting week upon week upon week upon on weekend. And President Biden actually met with President uh, Emmanuel Macron, where the 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 conventional contract, the original contract was actually discussed and never told him that they were in conversations to upend it. So there is, again, this idea of, is the United States a trusted partner in the world? And the answer that people are going to be bringing to New York for the UN General Assembly is no, it is not. And it's, I think you have to understand, I mean, a couple of things about this that European powers, Western powers generally, you know, you know, Donald Trump was the person they didn't want to see walk in the room because they never knew what he was going to say. He insulted them to their faces. He wanted to upend the way that NATO uh, was organized, the way that it was funded, things like that. And, and, and people kind of dreaded the guy. And here you have President Joe Biden, who is supposedly the decent guy taking uh, Donald Trump's place. And he's actually doing things that are quite dramatically worse. I mean, he's not just he's not just saying things to them. He's actually doing things to undermine their standing in the world. This is a $60 billion contract that France has lost, the largest contract, uh, defense contract it ever entered into. We have, without a discussion or a debate, decided to give a non-nuclear country nuclear subs that will have to be monitored now by the UN watchdog. It's a very significant development, and it happened entirely under the radar of everyone. Yeah, the nuclear conversation is big. Certainly um, offending our oldest ally, France, is a big part of this conversation. And the UN General Assembly uh, meeting this coming week in New York City um, is going to be, you know, another part of that conversation. One of what are going to be the big things on the um, on the UN General Assembly docket, and maybe how does China play into all of that? Well, I think that you know what they would like to have on their docket, of course, is uh, what the UN Secretary General has called basically the war on the world, and by that he means the pandemic and climate change. And those are the big global uh, society um, agenda items right now. But, um, you know, 
the real business at the UN General Assembly is these these world leaders coming together and the conversations that they have behind closed doors. And that entire large agenda is going to be undermined by just concerns about the United States, concerns about the destabilizing effect of our withdrawal from Afghanistan, concerns about what the fact that the United States, you know, holds this huge number of vaccines, is beginning to to launch a booster um, program, giving people a third shot. And there's so much of the country that still has, so much of the world, excuse me, that still has not had their first shots. And so I think that there is going to be just a lot of tension among these leaders, and much of it we won't see. Again, it will be behind closed doors. But it's really hard to see how these important issues that we should be wrestling with in sort of international settings, and and I would put the pandemic at the top of that agenda, um, are are going to be, uh, if if you can even believe it, sort of cast aside because of some of these flare-ups that we've seen. Mm. You asked what about actually- China. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Tell because there's tons well, going on in relationship to China, right. and you have a lot posted at uh, at wng.org World News Group. If you guys want to um, read the articles that Mindy is now going to reference, well, I mean, every uh, um, democracy in the world recognizes that China is is an authoritarian bully that is trying to buy its way into the international community. And um, and there's a real need for concerted effort. And so all the things we've talked about show how hard it is to come to that place. One of the things that China is doing is it's it's um, you know doing a, a pay for play plan with its vaccine, the Sinovac vaccine, which its effectiveness is is so so. Um, but but China is charging countries billions of dollars, and this is where you get it gets to the lack of international coordination. U.S. leadership, Western leadership on actually um, distributing vaccines and helping poor countries to have access to vaccines. What that is doing is putting China in the driver's seat to basically bribe countries. If you will, if you will cease your recognition of Taiwan, we will allow you to have these many doses of vaccines. Those are the kinds of things that's happening. And so poor nations, rather than being given um, the kind of access, many of them are paying for them. They're paying for them at reduced rates. Um, but but rather than giving them sort of a legitimate uh, place at, in the distribution scheme, they're being they're having to sort of bribe their way there. And it's just one more um, <clears throat> thing I believe that keeps us from getting to the level of immunity that we need worldwide in order to really begin to see this pandemic come to an end. Yeah, the extortion related to uh, what China is extracting in terms of um, of promises from poor countries to supply them with a vaccine that is, um, un, you know, it, it's not proven to be particularly reliable uh, is heartbreaking. Um, tell us mm-hmm. what's also going on with the, uh, I'm going to use the quote, scare quotes here, elections related to Hong Kong. Yeah, we continue to see uh, Hong Kong, you know, under under China's de- domination, um, mm-hmm. devolve from what was a financial capital of the world and, and a, you know, uh, I would say base of democracy in the Pacific, uh, continue to be eroded. And the latest is that um, 
that Beijing has forced on Hong Kong a law that will allow only certain people to run um, for offices. And so basically just undermining the election completely. And it's, this is, this is an election for, um, for, for the, it is, it is a, it is a citywide election, but it is not, was not set to be a major election. And now it has become one because Mm -hmm. under this, uh, what they're calling Patriots only system that China has imposed, um, only candidates that it selects can run. I mean, this is classic, uh, communist puppet, uh, government at work here. And it's just dramatic speed with which we have seen these things happen and seemingly the inability of anyone to mount a legitimate, um, legitimate opposition to it. The, the democracy activists in Hong Kong have been jailed. They have been run out of the country. They have been beaten. And, um, uh, now even from places of asylum in the U S and UK and, and the like, they have been ineffective in being able to, to change some of this trend. All right. So um, Beijing passed a law in May ensuring that only, quote, patriotic figures could run for positions. And then only about 4,800 people in Hong Kong, 4,800 people out of seven and a half million people were actually allowed to vote in the election. So not only, you know, were these just it's just gross. It's just a gross degradation of democracy. So let's be lifting up and praying for the people of Hong Kong. Um, I'm, I'm praying for revival in China, that God would just overwhelm uh, the people there. Mindy, thank you as always so much for bringing us the, the news headlines from the world um, through a Christian worldview. We genuinely appreciate it. Carmen, thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's Mindy Bells from World Magazine. You can find what we discussed at WNG, that's World News Group, WNG.org. We'll be right back. We're going to have a conversation about legacy. What are you passing on? What are you passing on as of first importance? You have a spiritual last will and testament. Generation to generation, that is a conversation that we need to be having. It is provoked by our friend Mark Gregston, who you hear every day here on Parenting Today's Teens. Well, Mark is now focused, you know, as a granddad as well. So we're going to talk about grandparenting, grandparenting teens, leaving a legacy of hope. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. To walk in the spirit, respond to the promptings God gives you. This is Max Locato. Don't sense any nudging. Well, just be patient and wait. Jesus told the disciples, wait for the gift my father promised, the Holy Spirit. Abraham waited for the promised son. Moses waited 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus waited 30 years before he began his ministry. God instills seasons of silence in his plan. Winter is needed for the soil to bear fruit. Time is needed for the development of a crop. And disciples wait for the move of God. Wait for him to move, nudge, and direct you. This beautiful promise in Isaiah 30 in verse 21, where God says, this is the way, walk in it. It's nice to be led by a master. Won't you let your master lead you? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. 
Mark Gregston is joining us today. You hear him every single day here on Mornings with Carmen in the Parenting Today's Teens um, ministry. Today he's joining us to talk about grandparenting teens, leaving a legacy of hope. Mark, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. It is so good to be with you guys. All right. It's wonderful to have you here, uh, Mark. Let's talk about uh, the reality of grandparenting today. Um, increasingly, kids in the United States are actually being raised by their grandparents. People who thought they were going to spend their years of retirement in one way are now raising kids again. So let's talk a little bit about the reality of grandparenting in the United States. And then let's equip let's equip grandparents to you know, bridge the generational gap. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think what's happening is this, is that we're all living a little bit longer. Um, but, I, but I'm not so sure that God intended us to hop in an RV, drive to Arizona, and play shuffleboard the rest of our lives. I think he's keeping us around, because it used to be you turned 65, and you were dead by 68. And, you know, I didn't have any grandparents involved in my life that were alive. And, but yet, we're all old enough to do that, so we can intervene. We can have an influence on our grandkids, and we can spend time with them in such a way that we're truly are leaving a legacy that uh, that really no one else can. So when we think about um, grandparenting, <clears throat> some of us are pretty young as grandparents. Like, I think that the ways in which our families are now um, growing, some are growing, you know, traditionally, generationally, but there's <sighs> lots who, because of divorce and remarriage, you know, yeah. there's lots of people who have grandkids who are also still raising kids. Just talk about the complexity of life that folks are experiencing. And then maybe let's get into um, equipping those of us who are yeah. grandparents, you know, how we can really develop a, a, a spiritual legacy well, into that you know, third the, generation. Yeah, yeah, the complexity of, uh, you know, of, of, of divorce and separations and grandparents taking over and, you know, from drug use to prisoners, to, you know, to, to jail time, to anything that causes a child to be left alone that would traditionally have been picked up by the state can now be picked up by grandparents. And so grandparents hold that role of, of being a parent and a grandparent at the same time. And people are, get confused a little bit. They say, well, I'm supposed to be the parent, but I also want to be the grandparent. And you could be both. There's days that that you need to be more perhaps wise and, and, and sit and share and not correct and not tell them how they're doing things wrong or how they can do it better. Then there's other days that you need to be that parent to them that establishes rules, enforces consequences, and, and continually encourages them to accomplish those things they need to accomplish, like academics or sports or participation in church or whatever that is. But it is it is you know, there is a possibility and a wonderful opportunity to to do both. And, and that's what I tell grandparents. You've just got to be able to shift your style to accommodate the needs of your grandkids. Instead of thinking you're going to pull them up to you, times you need to go down to them, just as the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, that we need to be the same as grandparents to our kids and our grandkids. I'm wondering if, um, you know, when you look back at when you guys started uh, Heartlight, I'm wondering if some of the struggles that teens and families in crisis were having then 
I'm wondering if some of that has changed, maybe how you could reflect with us on that, because you've become a grandparent in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, it, it has changed quite a bit, the way kids communicate, the way they relate, uh, the way that parents and grandparents coddle and, and probably, you know, create a sense of entitlement with kids where they're demanding more. Maturity has has uh, has kind of flown out the window. The American Medical Association has increased the age of adolescence, stage 27. Mm. You know, I, I, I think there's a number of things that are happening culturally among our teens that that's why it screams for for a little bit of wisdom and gray hair and a little waddle underneath your neck and wrinkles to be involved in the life of kids because what they're doing is they're, they're searching for wisdom, but they're drowning in information. And it's because the way they communicate and the way that, you know, they're, they're always looking at their phone. They're always staring at things. They're always, they're always looking for something, but they're not finding it in the world that they live in. And I think it's grandparents that have something to offer to them, which is that great sense of wisdom that's gathered by observation, reflection, and experience. Those those three things give, an, give a child an opportunity to learn wisdom from a grandparent. All right. You better tell us what those three things are again. <laughs> it's observation. You know, here's the thing. Most grandparents feel like they have to have all the words right. And let, and let me tell you something. I, you know, I live with 60 high school kids. Um, I have lived with over 3,000 kids over the last 45 years. What I've learned is this. In a world that is full of information, what they don't need is more information. I mean, when you and I grew up, information turned over every 13 years. Now it's doubling every hour and a half. And our kids are bombarded with that. So what they need is an example of somebody living out the life that they've learned about and have been taught about. It's almost like the first 12 years of their life, we've taught them really well. Now we need to show them really well. And, and I, I think what this does is, is give the opportunity to, 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 to say, let's go spend some time together. Let's experience some things together. You can watch me. Follow me because I know what I'm doing in taking this word of God, these principles, these biblical principles, and applying them to their world that is kind of spinning out of control a little bit. And I'm I'm not an anti-world kind of guy, but I am always trying to figure out how do I take timeless truth and apply it to an ever-shifting culture that looks at things differently. And so I I think that's where a grandparent has that opportunity to say, you know, that you can learn from me just by observing what I do. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. All right. We're talking with Mark Gregston. The brand new book is Grandparenting Teens. Leaving a Legacy of Hope, more up next on Mornings with Carmen. He said love is made for you to live. The best love is the love that you give. There'll be times when you want to hold on, but you got to let go. And I live We're talking with Mark Gregston, among other things. His heart passion is a ministry called Heart Light. You can find it at heartlightministries.org. He loves our teenagers, um, and he loves them not only as a parent, but now as a grandparent. The brand new book is Grand Parenting Teens, Leaving a Legacy of Hope. Um, Mark, I'm wondering if, as you reflect back on the beginning of, of Heart Light, um, you know, you've now had the opportunity to see God work 
um, across a generation of young people. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk yeah. about the the heart light approach? Because I I feel like every day you're really equipping each of us and all of us to do what you're doing at Heartlight in our own homes. Well, you know, I think so. You know, and I think grandkids makes it a little bit easier because I think grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. And, and uh, <laughs> there's just something about it that, that uh, it's a mulligan. It's a do-over. It's, a, it's an opportunity to, to engage again, uh, you know, and kind of overcome the mistakes that you made as a parent. Uh, and, I, and I think the way that, that, that we all need to be engaging with kids um, is from a relational perspective and not so much from a perspective that's always concerned about shoving something else down their throat or making sure they're doing right or making sure they're perfect or, you know, I, I just don't think that works anymore. I think what kids are desiring more than anything else, because, because we've done an excellent job in teaching them the word of God and the biblical principles, they need examples before them to be able to show them this is how you apply it to your culture not to my culture. Our cultures are different. Look at what you and I had to face, you know, in high school, some of the issues. Now look at what our kids are having to face as their issues. And it's completely different. And the hard part is saying, how do I take the word of God and apply it to, you know, a life that's saying, okay, I want this, but I'm not so sure how I get this or get to this. And so it just means there's a presence of somebody that's not just teaching and letting it go, but now training and saying, here, I want you to make some decisions. I want to cultivate thought. I'm going to quit lecturing and start having discussions. I'm going to quit talking, and I'm going to spend more time listening. I'm going to, I'm going to quit doing everything for you, and I want you to start doing things. I'm going to quit making decisions. I want you to make decisions. I think that's how we train somebody up after they've received all the things that we've talked, and, and it's got to be from the relational basis more than anything else. Yeah, I've got um, a, a person asking a question um, on our text line right now, looking for literature, Christian literature for younger kids. I think that um, I'm going to answer you on the text line. My first three are Dead Sea Squirrels, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, and Little Pilgrim's Progress. There you go, but I'll text you back. Um, Mark, when you think about, do you read with, like, did you read with your kids when they were teenagers, and do you read with your grandkids you know, not, I, I provide them opportunities to read, and and you know, I I do think that a child who reads sure stays out of trouble a little bit more. They're more creative. They're, you know, they uh, they can, uh, you know, they just they know how to pass time uh, a little bit different. At the same time, it can be an unbelievable escape from the real world, and and so I spend a lot of time. It may be watching a movie with a grandchild. And I've got a 21-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 10- and an 8-year-old grand. Those are the ages of my grandkids. And so we can watch a movie that has meaning, that means um, something spiritual and of depth that will start a conversation that we can talk about later. It's not just one that entertains, but I, I pick out things that, that are going to stimulate conversation and start the conversation. I, I don't have to end it. I just want to start it and get them thinking. Because the, the one thing that, that when kids gather wisdom, it, it is by observation, but the second thing is by reflection. It's by what they think about. And I think there's so many things that bombard them. Other people think for them. And so I want to teach kids how to think for themselves. 
which means I'm going to quit giving answers and I'm going to start asking a lot more questions, meaning that that I, I'm going to have open-ended questions that I can't – I don't correct the, the answer that they give me. I just listen because I know that they're processing out loud. And my hope is this, that the seeds that have been sown in their life will come to fruition when we cultivate them as teens and, and help – you know, turn up the soil a little bit and and turn it over and water it and and bring warmth to it so that it will grow in their life. I I want their relationship to grow with Christ in their way, not my way. And and so I want them to embrace the Word of God, not me always having to give it to them all the time. And it just means that I want them to be the ones that are that are kind of moving in the direction of, of wanting to become closer in that relationship to God, to change their relationships with other people, and maybe change some of the way they think about how they see the world. How do we resist having expectations of what that relationship is going to look like? <laughs> you know, I, I, that's, if you have too high of expectations, you're going to be disappointed all the time. Um, how I wish that uh, people would always engage with me the way that I want them to engage. And mm. what I find is, is that, you know, Paul says, you know, you're, you're looking out to your own interest. You're not looking to the interest of others. So it's basically saying, you know, I want to go where you want to go and I want to help you get there. I want to keep you from where you don't want to end up. But we're not going to have to go on my path. Let's go. Let's walk on your path. And I and I think that that it just means that that if I'm disappointed in kids, if they're not living up to my expectations, that's okay. I the goal more than anything else is to help them fulfill who they've been created to be. It's not who I want them to be. It's who they've been created to be. And that may look completely different from me. And and so <clears throat> if it is, <clears throat> then I want to engage in such a way that lets them know that there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. There's nothing you can do to make me love you less. And I can be a beacon in your life to, to draw you to that relationship with Christ so you can continue to grow as you kind of wade through these turbulent waters of adolescence. I love it. We love you. We appreciate you. Mm. Um, we love what you guys are doing at, at Heartlight. Um, let me encourage you guys, if you're listening right now and you just, you really need some help in your family generation to generation, maybe you have a, I mean, a, a, a deep heart issue going on with a teenager, please check out yeah. heartlightministries.org. Um, everybody should check out what's going on at Parenting Today's Teens. You can find them online. Um, and obviously today we're talking about the brand new book, Grandparenting Teens, Leaving a Legacy of Hope. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. God bless you guys. God bless you as well. We'll be right back. All right, I appreciate uh, you taking us along for the ride today. Wherever you're going, go with Christ. Whatever you're saying, speak words that pour forth God's grace and God's truth into the realities that people are living in and walking in today. Expect always the unexpected, anticipate miracles, trust that God is with you. Let's not try to get ahead of him and certainly let's not fall behind him. Let's seek to walk today step-by-step step, with the spirit of the living God, yoked to Christ and therefore yoked to one another. 
That's the body theology with which we move forward as Christ people into the world that God so loves. Let us represent Christ today to a world that totally misunderstands who God is. Jesus came to perfectly exegete the Father. Sort of circling back to where we started our conversation today. If, you're, if you haven't been in the Word yet today, get into Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses, and consider who Christ is, what He has done, the name above all names. Let it take you into Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, and Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Let it take you back to Psalm 110, and let it take you forward into Revelation. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let us bow the knee to him today. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.